Welcome back, Crimeaholics. It's your host, Holly. And first of all, happy Monday. Wherever you are in the world, I hope that today and this entire week is a good one for you guys. And if you're new to the podcast, on Mondays, we do our Missing Mondays segment. For those that aren't aware, Missing Mondays is a segment that was created to help keep missing persons' name and information in the media the best we can and to hopefully help aid in their return home. 90,000 people are missing in the U.S. at any given time, and while some are found alive or deceased, the majority are still missing today. When I get asked about what cases bother me the most, many people are surprised to learn that it's the cases that I cover on Missing Mondays. For me, it's extremely important to continue telling these stories and to let the families of the missing know that their loved one's story has not been forgotten. Today's case is a missing persons case that just hit its 19th anniversary since she went missing. Today's Missing Mondays episode is on the disappearance of Tabitha Tudors. On the morning of April 29, 2003, 13-year-old Tabitha Tudors left her home located on the 1300 block of Lillian Street in East Nashville, Tennessee, to catch the bus to school like she did every day. Tabitha was a 7th grader at Bailey Middle School, where she was described to be an incredible student who did really well in all of her classes. Tabitha was well-liked by all her peers, and she was just overall an extremely friendly little girl. In the months before her disappearance, she began attending church with one of her friends and did all that she could to be involved with what was going on within the community. Most of the time, though, Tabitha stayed very close to her family. Of course, she loved hanging out and playing with her friends, but when her family was not at work and they were at home, that's where she preferred to be. And if she wasn't with her friends or family, she could be found hanging out with some of the elderly neighbors, which she grew very close with and referred to some of them as her grandma. I think this is so cute, and I remember myself getting close with some of my elderly neighbors and feeling good about just spending my time with them and helping them with various tasks. Tabitha became so close with one of her grandmas that on occasion when her family would cook something that she really wasn't feeling that night for dinner, she would go over to her grandma neighbor's house and she knew that if she went over there, didn't like what her mom was cooking, that grandma would serve her up some hot, fresh chicken nuggets or something else that she enjoyed. Overall, I think from what I've learned about Tabitha was she was just a wise little girl, wise beyond her years. She enjoyed those slower paced, relaxed, finer things in life, which is somewhat unusual for a 13 year old girl. But that was just who Tabitha was. That morning of April 29th, 2003 started off as any other day for Tabitha and her family. Her mother, Deborah, woke up around 6 o'clock in the morning to begin her morning routine to get ready for work. And when she woke up, she found Tabitha sleeping at the foot of the bed, which wasn't unusual for Tabitha. 
Often in the night, Tabitha would wake up and come into her parents' room and make a pallet on the floor at the end of their bed, and that's where she would sleep the remaining of the night. Deborah wasn't really sure exactly why Tabitha did this, but she assumed that it was because Tabitha just wanted to feel close to her parents. So when her mom spotted her on the floor, she just stepped over her like she did most mornings and went about her regular morning routine before heading off to work. Not long after Tabitha's father, Bo, woke up and began getting ready for work himself, and he was a truck driver. At 7 a.m., Bo woke up Tabitha and told her that it was time to begin her morning routine to get ready for school, and then he headed off for work. Though both of her parents left for work, Tabitha wasn't home alone. Tabitha's older sister and her children also lived at the home, but while Tabitha was going through her morning routine, her sister and her children were still asleep, so they didn't even see her that morning. Every morning around 7.50, Tabitha would leave her home and walk the few blocks to the bus stop located on 14th and Boscobel Street. This was typically a quick little walk, and the bus arrived to pick the children up at 8 a.m. to take them to school. But somehow, something happened between Tabitha's quick walk to the bus stop, and on that day, she never made it there. Now, what is extremely unfortunate about this entire story is that the full school day passed before anyone was even aware that Tabitha was missing. Her mother worked at a different school, and she would get home around 1.30 in the afternoon, and then she would wait for Tabitha to come home. Tabitha's schedule was literally like clockwork every single day. So Deborah became concerned as 4 p.m. came and went, and Tabitha hadn't walked through the front door. She started to wonder if maybe Tabitha's bus had somehow gotten delayed on its route, or perhaps Tabitha missed the bus completely altogether. But given the fact that Deborah hadn't received any kind of notification, which was typical if she had missed the bus, she was concerned, of course, but she still was just hopeful that the bus was just running late. After some time, Deborah decided that she was going to walk down to the bus stop and see if maybe the bus would randomly show up or she would find her daughter delayed because she was talking with friends. But when she got down there, there was no sign of the bus, no sign of Tabitha or anyone else. At this point for Deborah, she assumed that the most logical explanation as to why her daughter wasn't home was because she missed the bus. So she loaded up in the car and drove the few miles to the school. But still, in the back of her mind, the idea of Tabitha missing the bus and nobody from the school notifying her made her feel really uneasy. When she arrived at the school, she found that the building was completely locked. There was no children or adults outside and no Tabitha waiting for a ride. Panicked, Deborah rushed back home, and by 5 p.m., Bo was arriving home as well from work, and when he learned the news about his daughter, he and his wife headed back to the school and began pounding on the doors in hopes that someone was inside. And to their surprise, a janitor was inside cleaning, and he let them in. They searched up and down all of the halls thinking that maybe Tabitha was inside somewhere, or maybe somehow she got locked into a room. 
During their search, they ran into a teacher that had stayed behind to finish up work. They asked about their daughter, and that is when they learned the shocking news that Tabitha hadn't even shown up for school that day. They immediately called 911, and by 6 p.m. that night, Tabitha was listed as a missing person. Now, one thing that a lot of people get really upset about with this case was the fact that no Amber Alert was issued. I think for most of us, we are aware of what an Amber Alert is, but if you're not, the Amber Alert is an emergency response system that sends out information on missing children. And this is done through media broadcasting, text messages, and it's also put on those electronic roadway signs. The Amber Alert is an incredible system that has helped find many children, but one thing about this system is that a certain criteria has to be met in order for an Amber Alert to be issued. For example, alerts are issued for known abductions. Typically, they require enough of a description of the child, such as what they were wearing, as well as a description of the car or a person that they could potentially be with. Unfortunately for this case, no one knew enough information to release an Amber Alert. When her parents left that morning, Tabitha wasn't dressed for the day, so they didn't even know what she had worn. And even though her sister and her children were home, they still were asleep when Tabitha left. And at the same time, authorities weren't even sure if Tabitha was actually abducted at all. And perhaps maybe she was just a runaway. But Deborah and Bo knew their daughter. But not only that, all of her closest friends and even the neighbors she hung around knew she wasn't the type of girl to just run off. Tabitha was extremely responsible. She absolutely loved being near her family, and this was just completely out of character. Of course, authorities questioned the fact that Tabitha was a young teen girl. Maybe she ditched out on school with some friends like I think a lot of us did as children. But again, Tabitha would have never done that. She was extremely proud of her attendance record and good grades that she wouldn't have wanted to ruin that to ditch school for a day. The school never called to notify anyone that Tabitha was absent, and I'm not sure how it is for other parents across the country or even the world, but I know here in Nevada when my children are marked absent from school, I receive a call from the school usually sometime between 10 and 11 a.m. Granted, I do feel that even 10 or 11 a.m. is somewhat late for a notification because If something happened on their way to school, that would have been several hours that had passed before I was notified. But of course, the schools have a ton of children to work through these notification processes, so I try and give a little grace there. So for Tabitha, nobody was called at any point in the day. Not even by 5 p.m. when her mother was at the school searching for answers. So this left a huge window of time where Tabitha could have been searched for. Something happened to her between 7.50 a.m. and 8 a.m., meaning 10 hours had passed before Tabitha was even listed as a missing person. The responding team of officers began canvassing the neighborhood Tabitha lived in and expanded about five miles out from her home. All around Tabitha's home was a huge neighborhood, and within this neighborhood, it is just a ton of houses as well as two different schools. 
Given the time of the morning that Tabitha went missing, there typically is a lot of people milling about, whether they're collecting their morning paper from their porch or drinking their morning coffee or getting ready and leaving for work. There is a lot of activity happening within this large neighborhood. So this gave a significant amount of hope that someone had seen Tabitha that morning and saw what had happened or where she had went. Tabitha's parents and a team of 15 police officers searched for hours for any sign of Tabitha and they found nothing. Come 10 p.m. that night, the first news coverage of Tabitha's disappearance was pumped out into the media and again her family was hopeful that someone would see it and have some sort of information. The police worked for three days searching for Tabitha and doing various news interviews, but it was very apparent in all of these news clips that they felt that Tabitha was just a runaway. And it was extremely frustrating for her family because they felt with these interviews, it was creating a lack of urgency within the community to search for Tabitha. And I know that with missing children and teens, the parents often say that it's not like their child to run away and then come to find out they truly did. But for Tabitha, this was unimaginable. She had just received her report card the day before and was excited that she had all straight A's. She had an incredible life being the youngest child and according to her parents, she was quite spoiled. And not only that, but her family had a vacation planned for Six Flags just two weeks later that Tabitha could nonstop talk about and she was so excited about it. When people hear that a child is potentially a runaway, unfortunately, they lose interest, and I hate that for Tabitha's family or any family that has to go through this. The neighbors that lived near Tabitha even vouched to investigators that Tabitha was like clockwork with her routine and was such a good child she would never do something like this. Also, on top of what the family and neighbors said about Tabitha never running away, they found that the core items that someone would take if they wanted to run away were all left behind. There was nothing missing from her room. No extra clothes gone. She had even left some cash behind in her room, which to me indicates that she didn't plan on going anywhere. A kid with no way of making money for themselves if they ran away, they wouldn't leave behind any kind of funds that they had if they planned to run off and start a quote-unquote new life. That's just not happening. While searching her room, police did find a piece of paper that left everyone with a lot of questions. Written on the paper was her initials. Below those initials was the letter N, indicating the word and. And then below that was another person's initials of M-T-L. This was written in Tabitha's handwriting, and it was one of those kinds of things that I think we've all done when we've had a crush on somebody. But what was puzzling for her family was they had no idea who this MTL person could have been. And from my understanding, they were never able to positively identify who this MTL person was. Now, I'm assuming that the police went to the school during their investigation to see if they could narrow down who this MTL person was so they could question them or to even find out if this person was even a student at the school. But again, they weren't able to identify who this person was, so I'm assuming that maybe this was someone who didn't even go to her school. 
Investigators also went down to the nearby library where Tabitha would go to use the computers to talk in different online chat rooms. They checked the computer logs and that led them absolutely nowhere as well. As the days went on and no Tabitha, the community that they lived in really rallied behind the tutors and came together to support this family in a way that I haven't quite seen before. Friends, family, neighbors, and even random strangers all band together to create a meal train for the tutors to make sure that they always had a warm meal to eat. And so they didn't have to worry or think about trying to plan trips to the store or to cook. They put together a full year's worth of a schedule of meals for them, having all of the people taking turns bringing things over for the family. I cannot imagine how nice this was for the family. With the stress of a missing child and that worrying of what happened to her, having one less stressor on their plate, such as figuring out what to eat, probably was an incredible help. I applaud those who stepped up for this family, and all of us should try and take note for how we can react as a community if this were ever to happen near us. Within the first week of Tabitha having gone missing, authorities brought in several dogs to attempt to track her scent. The dogs were individually taken out to try and track her scent, and they all did something super interesting. All of the dogs went from Tabitha's home on Lillian Street and followed it down to 14th Street, which was the normal route that she would have taken. From 14th Street, the dog turned and walked up Boscobel Street, which again was the route she would have taken because her bus stop was located on Boscobel. But halfway up the hill on Boscobel Street, the dogs would stop and turn back around and head back down the hill, indicating to everyone that Tabitha never made it all the way up that hill to her bus stop, and for some reason she traveled back down. Everyone in Tabitha's family was questioned and given a polygraph test to rule them out. Some people felt uneasy about the fact that Tabitha's older sister, Jamie, was the last person in the house with Tabitha, even though she claimed she never saw her because she was sleeping. But the rumor mill began circulating and people got nasty with spreading stories. Police also announced that there was some issues with Jamie's story, which she later came out and detailed how bullied, pressured, and intimidated she had been by the police questioning her. She was threatened by the investigating officers who questioned her, and they told her that if she failed her polygraph test, that they would have her kids taken from her. They told her that the whole world, including her family, would see her face all over the news, and all of this led to Jamie being extremely anxious, so much so that she couldn't even answer any of the polygraph questions without being absolutely terrified. And of course, this could skew the results of a polygraph having this much stress and anxiety, even if it doesn't directly relate to the questions that they're asking. And that's exactly what happened to Jamie. Investigators also looked into the list of sex offenders and ex-cons that lived within Tabitha's neighborhood, and to their surprise, there was a significant amount of them. This obviously created a lot of worry for not only Tabitha's parents, but for investigators as well. So they went through the list of them and questioned every single one of them to rule them out. 
This brought out a lot of potential persons of interest. They learned that a couple who lived a few houses down from Tabitha on Lillian Street had been accused of sexually assaulting a minor just two weeks after Tabitha had went missing. According to the Charlie Project, there had also been a man who was arrested just months after Tabitha vanished after he tried to lure an 11-year-old girl into his car. This man became someone they looked very heavily at because of the nature of his crime and because of the fact that this took place just a few blocks from Tabitha's home. This is extremely suspicious and very concerning, but they were never able to connect this man to Tabitha's case, and eventually he was also removed from the suspect list. Years later, someone came forward also from the neighborhood to warn Tabitha's parents of one of their family members being potentially involved. Apparently, this person came forward to say that one of their family members had sexually assaulted his own daughter, and he was sent to prison for 10 years. And they told authorities and the tutors that he might be someone that they should look into because he was a known offender. This was also looked into, but much like the other people who came up during this investigation of offenders in that area, he was ruled out also. Through their initial search, they also were able to find people who had said that they had seen Tabitha walking that morning. One man said he saw Tabitha that morning going from Lillian Street and on to 14th Street, so they for sure had an eyewitness placing her on 14th. A couple more witnesses said they saw her walking all along 14th Street, headed in the direction of Boscobel to her bus stop. A man living on Boscobel also claimed that he had just opened his door that morning when he saw Tabitha walking by, and when she walked by him, she was looking down at a piece of paper. She appeared normal, didn't seem upset or nervous, and was simply just walking along the road. And lastly, the last person to have possibly seen Tabitha was a young boy. What I could find about this potential sighting to me seems fairly credible, but police have not confirmed his story and some investigators question the credibility of the story he told. The boy said that he had seen Tabitha walking up the hill on Boscobel towards the bus stop. He said he saw a red car pull up beside Tabitha, and she and the driver exchanged a quick conversation before she got into the car. He then did a quick U-turn and drove off. The boy described the driver of the red car as a 30- to 40-year-old black man, and he was wearing some sort of baseball cap. Now, what I find interesting about the story is the fact that we know those dogs traced Tabitha's scent up Boscobel, and then they abruptly stopped and went back down the hill. So this would match up with what the boy had said he witnessed, and again, I'm not sure why exactly authorities question his credibility and the circumstances surrounding that, but I do find it interesting because of all the theories, this one seems like the most plausible. After months of searching and following leads, they were at a standstill, and at this point, authorities still kind of had it in their minds that Tabitha was a potential runaway. That is until the summer of 2003, when they began working on another possible lead. A man claimed that he had seen Tabitha while driving another young man to a nearby high school. His story was 
off from the get-go, and it wasn't really adding up, so investigators really had a ton of questions about his story. But then he began talking to reporters and news outlets who were covering her story, and he made some very questionable and uncomfortable comments. He would detail in these interviews how he had witnessed Tabitha, but he would then make inappropriate comments to describe her. He made a comment which absolutely sets me on edge about how Tabitha was developing physically. But not only that, when he would describe her, he would talk with his hands and would kind of make motions of how her body was shaped. If that makes any kind of sense, it was almost as if he was tracing out the curves of her body with his hands. On top of his off story, those weird comments about Tabitha's appearance, he also couldn't give the police any kind of true reason as to why he was even in Tabitha's neighborhood to begin with. So they started wondering if he was a predator who was on the prowl for easy targets. He becomes one of the top suspects, and police obtained a search warrant to search his home in Shelby Park, just two miles from Tabitha's. They searched his home from top to bottom and even used luminol to search for any traces of blood. Unfortunately, not a single shred of evidence or any kind of blood was found within his home. And though he wasn't officially ruled out as a suspect, they did begin trying to look elsewhere for answers once more. The more time that passed, the more authorities were finally moving past the thought that Tabitha was just a teenage girl who ran away from home, and they began really thinking about the possibility that something far more sinister could have happened to her. On October 30th, six months after Tabitha had gone missing, a truck driver who was in Linton, Indiana, reported that he believed he saw Tabitha Tudors. Now, Linton is about three hours and 40 minutes away from East Nashville, and this truck driver claimed that he saw two young girls with an older man, and the one who looked eerily similar to Tabitha appeared to be very uncomfortable. There also was a hotel desk clerk around the same time who had reported seeing two young girls, one of which who they believed was Tabitha, also with an older man, at the hotel that they worked at. But both of these sightings were never able to be confirmed. Tabitha's family were really frustrated that it had taken so long for police to really let go of the notion that she had ran away. They felt that there was a lot of things that weren't done initially that should have been done because of the fact that they labeled her as a runaway, despite everything going against that theory. Tabitha's sister even told the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children that Tabitha had absolutely nothing to run from. She was extremely happy and had everything in life. The police chief, Deborah Faulkner, at the time of Tabitha's disappearance, has been under a lot of scrutiny for the way in which she handled Tabitha's case. And according to an article published by the Nashville Scene, she never came out and publicly apologized or took any kind of responsibility for how it was handled. This really frustrated Tabitha's family. And on top of that, Deborah Faulkner even tried to place some blame on the tutor stating that it took them over three days to identify what it was that Tabitha was wearing that day, and she also complained that they had given an outdated photo of Tabitha. 
The fact that this woman felt okay about throwing shade at this family just boggles my mind. These parents went through the worst thing any parent could ever imagine going through, and to place any sort of blame on them for taking a while to pinpoint what their child was wearing is completely unacceptable. This is something that I have thought about myself as a parent. Would I be able to identify what my child was wearing? And to do so under such stressful conditions and having so much anxiety, I couldn't imagine that pressure. This family was doing the best that they could, and everybody in the community were completely outraged by Faulkner's behavior. Thankfully, in January of 2004, she was replaced by a new chief named Ronald Serpice, and within days of him taking over, he announced his belief that Tabitha Tudors was abducted. On top of this announcement, he also declared that her case was now a top priority for him and the whole department. Many different detectives worked tirelessly to comb through all of this information once more and see if anything was missing. Not only that, but the FBI was looking into this case as well, and even family friends of the Tudors tried to solve the case on their own. Johnny White is a longtime family friend of the Tudors, and he has spent many hours searching alongside her family. Many times he has walked the steps that Tabitha was last known to have walked, hoping for any kind of answers. But one thing that he can't get past is his theory that a former boyfriend of Jamie, Tabitha's older sister, might be involved. Jamie does not believe that this now ex-boyfriend could have been involved. Johnny White says otherwise, and I can see why his theory aligns with the possibility of this man's involvement. On the morning that Tabitha disappeared, Jamie's boyfriend had gotten off work around 7 a.m. from a nearby retail store where he was working stocking shelves. This boyfriend had previously lived with the Tudors for several months, so he was very familiar with Tabitha and her schedule and routine. This boyfriend also happened to be driving a red car on the day of her disappearance, as well as fitting the description of the driver that the young boy claimed he saw Tabitha getting into the car with. It is also reported that during the search, when the whole family was searching, he refused to help. Now, a ton of people online believe that this guy is responsible given the fact that Tabitha knew him personally, and Tabitha knew not to speak to or get in cars with strangers, but he wasn't a stranger and was someone she knew very well and had been around plenty and even lived with him at some point. Maybe she got into the car with him. In August of 2003, an 11-year-old girl went missing in Northport, Alabama. She had a lot of similar physical appearances to Tabitha, and she went missing under strikingly similar circumstances. However, this girl's body was found sometime later, and though no physical evidence can link the two cases, investigators do not want to rule out the possibility that they are connected. Bo and Deborah have done absolutely anything and everything that they can to spread awareness on their daughter's case, including going on a few talk shows in hopes that someone somewhere will see the story and recognize Tabitha. With the media and nationwide exposure also comes a lot of people who try to take advantage of their tragedy. And sadly, this is something that many people with missing loved ones deal with. 
One thing I try to keep an open mind about is psychics, and I know for many, this is an extremely touchy subject. Some people are very passionate about psychics and their abilities to see things, while others just want to completely ban them. The Tudors went on to the Montel Williams show where they met a psychic who told them that their daughter was no longer alive and that her remains were in a field. But when asked where this field was, she was unable to tell the location. This very same psychic went on to tell the family of another missing child, which was a boy by the name of Sean Hornbeck, exactly the same information. She claimed that Sean was dead, his remains were in a field, but Sean was actually found alive more than four years after his disappearance, where he was being held captive by a man just outside of St. Louis. The fact that this psychic got the information wrong about Sean's case provided a sliver of hope for Tabitha's family that maybe, just maybe, she was still out there somewhere. The family also had to get rid of their house phone because they were constantly getting random phone calls from people pretending to be Tabitha and saying things like, come save me. Once more, I cannot imagine the agony this caused her family, and it's absolutely heart-wrenching and disgusting to know that such evil people are out there that would want to play such a cruel trick on a family who has lost so much already. Since she has gone missing, a memorial has been created for Tabitha outside of one of the local middle schools where a tree had been planted and a bench is placed in her honor with a plaque. Deborah and Bo also attended what would have been Tabitha's high school graduation where they dedicated a moment of silence for her. Every year on April 29th, her family holds a vigil to remember her and to keep her story alive. As the years have gone by, so much in our world has changed. Social media has exploded, and we are finding new ways all the time to share these stories from podcasts to YouTube to Facebook groups and now TikTok. Her family is hopeful that with the incredible power of social media, they will someday get the answers that they so desperately desire. And if you follow me on TikTok or have listened to our podcast for a while, you know that I preach that there is so much power in social media. I think there is a lot of good that can come from sharing these stories, not only to show the family support and to show them that their loved one is not forgotten, but to also help solve these cases. It takes one person to blow a case wide open, one person to come forward with any teeny tiny piece of information to finally give these families closure and answers. The answers are out there. It's just a matter of reaching the right person and unlocking that final piece that is missing to the puzzle. In 2005, the FBI offered a $25,000 reward for anyone who has information on the disappearance of Tabitha Tudors. On the 13th anniversary of her disappearance, that reward was doubled to $50,000 for information, and that is where the reward currently still sits. This past Friday marked the 19-year anniversary since Tabitha went missing, almost two full decades without answers. 
Investigators are still working on her case and have had many sets of eyes combing over the information, searching for anything that they may have missed. And through the years, tips have continued to come in about this case. In 2016, one of the detectives working the case by the name of Stephen Jolly had learned about a rumor that had been circulating about another young boy witnessing Tabitha getting into a car. But this boy claimed that Tabitha had gotten into a green car and that this car had a scorpion decal on it. Police were never able to pinpoint who the child was that had claimed to have seen Tabitha getting into this green car. So this was just chalked up to be a rumor. But in 2016, Detective Jolly was able to finally track down the witness, who was now a grown man. And he did confirm that he saw Tabitha get into that green car on that morning. And though his description of the car was different from the other child's, it still fits that theory that she got into the car with someone. Detective Jolly followed this lead to the best of his ability, and it led him to a man named Juan. Now, what is interesting about Juan is he did in fact own this green car, but at the time of Tabitha's disappearance, he also had owned a red car too. But according to News Channel 5, even though Juan was named a person of interest, once police were able to track him down, he was quickly ruled out as being involved in this case. Also in 2016, two federal subpoenas were ordered for a man and a woman. Apparently, the man who this subpoena was for had been arrested somewhere out of state, and while being arrested, he claimed that he had information on Tabitha Tudor's. When he was questioned further about it, he completely took everything back that he said, but what he had said was interesting enough to authorities that they turned the information over to the FBI, and it was the FBI that issued these subpoenas. These two individuals had to answer questions in court, and sadly, this didn't lead to any new information or answers on what happened to Tabitha. In February 2020, Detective Stephen Jolly met for a one-on-one interview with News 2 where he stated that many tips had come in throughout the years, suggesting that Tabitha was abducted, drugged, and forced into prostitution in the Dickerson Road and Trinity Lane area. And he added that many of these tips included the name of the same man who happened to be in federal prison for being involved in prostitution in the East Nashville area. In August of 2020, a search was conducted in a rural part of Hickman County. The area that they searched was described by police to News Channel 5 as a six-acre rugged plot of land with a small dilapidated house on it. It was also described as mostly wooded. Investigators claimed that old and new information is what led them to this area and that they were searching for any kind of evidence to support the theory that she had been in the area. After two days of searching, they ended their search and stated that they were unable to confirm if Tabitha was ever on that property. However, they were not completely ruling it out as of yet. Since then, a new age progressed picture of Tabitha has been released by the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. If Tabitha Tudors is still alive out there somewhere, she is now 32 years old. 
I will also have pictures of her age progress pictures throughout the last 19 years posted to our social medias, so make sure you're following on Facebook and on Instagram so you can check those out. Before I wrap up this episode, I do believe that we should discuss some of the theories that are out there on this case. I want to remind everyone that these are just theories and they are not fact. However, given the length of time that Tabitha has been missing, I think it's important to explore the various different theories and again, in hopes that maybe someone knows something. The first theory, and not one I'm going to talk about in length for obvious reasons, is that Tabitha did in fact run away. Of course, people can surprise you and do unimaginable things, but I just don't think this is necessarily as cut and dry that she just up and ran away. Kind of going hand in hand with that theory is the theory that possibly Tabitha had met someone online. As I stated earlier, she would go to the library to utilize the computers to get on chat rooms and talk to people. Being 13 years old, children can be very impressionable and trusting and not realize the full dangers of online chatting. Now, with this known information that she chatted online in chat rooms, I can't help but wonder about that piece of paper with the initials on it. Who was that other person? Was that someone she had met online? And honestly, there isn't much information about those initials and who it could have been. So it makes me wonder if she had in fact met someone online and maybe she didn't realize that the person wasn't exactly who they claimed to be. Perhaps Tabitha had disclosed too much information about where she lived, the school she went to, and so on. I hope that those chat logs were thoroughly looked into because this seems like one of the theories that I could see as being the most plausible. Again, Tabitha wouldn't have gotten into the car with a stranger, but if she was approached by someone who said they were so-and-so from the chat or they knew so-and-so from the chat, maybe they could have talked her into getting into the car because she felt like she actually knew this person. There's endless possibilities on who those initials could have been from, and I just wish I knew more information about that. The next theory is that someone who knew Tabitha's routine could have abducted her. Once again, Tabitha was like clockwork with her routine. Many of the neighbors had stated that if they saw Tabitha walking to school while they were headed for work, that meant that they themselves were running late. She just was always set on her schedule. But with having this routine also comes a great risk. As we all know, watching true crime shows, stalkers typically watch people and learn their patterns and routines. Maybe someone within the neighborhood or someone who frequented the neighborhood learned her patterns and routines and waited for her on that morning. There's also the possibility that many people speculate on is that boyfriend of her older sister. He knew and was around Tabitha long enough to know her routines and where she would be and when. And as awful as as it sounds, it's not unheard of for older siblings, boyfriends, or girlfriends to begin feeling some kind of way about a younger sibling and becoming infatuated and fascinated by them. I myself am actually a perfect example of this because I was sexually assaulted by my sister's ex-husband. He used the fact that I knew him and trusted him and he groomed me from the time I was fairly young until he began sexually assaulting me. So 
as awful as that is, it does happen, and I believe things like that happen more often than we realize. So maybe this boyfriend had that trust with Tabitha, offered her a ride, or said something to her to make her want to get into the car, and something then happened. I also want to talk about a comment that I saw from someone while researching this case. Someone questioned the fact that Tabitha would get up in the night and go sleep in her parents' room. This person felt that maybe the reasoning was because that boyfriend lived within the home and made Tabitha feel uncomfortable or something happened there to cause her to want to leave her bedroom and go into her parents' room to be near them. Again, this is just speculation, but I did find that somewhat interesting because Tabitha never really said why exactly she wanted to sleep in there other than she wanted to be close to her parents. There's also the possibility of all of those sexual predators living within the small radius of Tabitha's home. They also could have been learning her routines and decided to abduct her. There were many individuals that police tried to question who were known offenders, and they refused to cooperate, so perhaps one of them was involved. There's also the theory about the two individuals who had those federal subpoenas. Though the information was very limited and authorities said nothing was found, I do find it odd and interesting that someone would randomly blurt out that they had information about a case that happened many years before while being arrested. Granted, I do know that people claim things all the time typically to get a reduced sentence for stuff, but I do find that piece of information just slightly odd. Lastly is a theory that she was abducted and forced into trafficking. There was several potential sightings, two of which sounded very similar about two young girls with an older man. Those sightings couldn't be confirmed, but they also couldn't be denied. Of course, there's also the possibility that this was completely random and that Tabitha just crossed paths with the wrong person at the wrong time and they abducted her. I truly believe that whatever happened to Tabitha, it was something that was planned. I think that given the fact that nobody heard or saw anything out of the ordinary that day, that whoever she got into the car with was someone she felt she could trust. Her mom said that she would never get into the car with a stranger, so maybe she went quietly and willingly with whomever, and that is why nobody heard any screams or a struggle. And both the boys who claimed to have seen her getting into a car with someone didn't mention her struggling or fighting, which again makes me feel like whomever took her was someone known to her. Tabitha Tudors has been missing far too long and her family deserves answers. They have been fighting for nearly two decades. Someone somewhere knows something. It truly just takes one person with the smallest shred of information to come forward to crack this case and give this family answers. If you or anyone you know has information on the disappearance of Tabitha Tudors, you can call the Nashville Metro Police Department at 615-862-8600. You can also call the FBI at one 800 225 5324 or visit tips.fbi.gov. 
Just a reminder, there is a $50,000 reward available for anyone who has information. Make sure you're a part of our private Facebook group. You can find it by searching Crimeaholics Podcast Discussion Group on Facebook. In there, we share all information and pictures pertaining to the cases that we cover, and we also encourage all of our members to share all things true crime. You can also follow us on Instagram and on TikTok at crimeaholics.podcast. And if you wish to follow me personally, you can find me on Instagram at crimeaholly. Crimeaholics, that is all for now. Until next time, be aware and take care.